you know, not so much, you know, we don't need to make the metaphysical claim that everything is consciousness. That's that's a leap. It may be true, I don't know. But everything appears to be permeable and pervaded by this one undivided expanse of consciousness. So I think, you know, one of the one of the main contributions of the realization process uh, and, and now actually there's there's much more attention to this is for one thing the embodiment of fundamental consciousness and it's not something that we realize out there apart from ourselves because you know that would not really be oneness if it doesn't include us it's not oneness it's not self other oneness it's not oneness so it, so the embodiment of it now in that embodiment it means that we actually mature, we find our deepest connection with ourselves as individuals. Welcome back to the Sounds of Sand podcast. Today I'm in conversation with Judith Blackstone, and she's a psychotherapist and innovative teacher in contemporary spirituality. She developed the realization process, which we discussed today, which is an embodied approach to personal and relational healing and non-dual realization. And we discuss her newest book, The Fullness of the Ground, A Guide to Embodied Awakening. All today on the Sounds of Sand podcast presented by Science and Non-Duality. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious. Being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. I'm here with Judith Blackstone. Thank you so much for being on the Sounds of Sand podcast. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So before we get into your marvelous new book, The Fullness of Ground, would you mind discussing some of your path as a spiritual teacher and writer? Uh, okay. So the path that I've been on uh, for now for, for many years uh, began, like for many people, with a disaster, with an injury uh, when I was in my 20s. Uh, I had been a professional dancer and I injured myself, was not able to dance anymore, and it had been my, my life. You know, for a dancer, it's, it is a life, and it's a lot of intensive work from the time I was a child. So I naturally thought that uh, there was nowhere to go from there. And um, I was living in a dance studio in a loft in Manhattan, and I just uh, lay on the floor and the just opened myself up for for help and I began to get I began to actually get help I began to enter into a much subtler uh, dimension of attunement to myself and the world than I had ever imagined was possible and um, and I began to play with it and I realized that I could open to upward energy and it would begin to actually pull the misalignment that had occurred in my back in towards alignment. And because I was teaching dance for a living, people were coming to my studio, my home, uh, every week uh, for classes. So I began to teach them these, these subtle attunements. And that was the beginning of the work. 
And from there, of course, I, I studied intensively in Asian spiritual modalities and psych I became a psychotherapist. I mean, there was many, many chapters to it. Uh, and I kept, uh, as all that unfolded, I kept further developing uh, what's now called the realization process, uh, which is the, the method that is in this book, uh, The Fullness of the Ground, and the method that I teach. And um, I was still healing myself, and then we can say I'm still healing myself, uh, so that, and working with many other people, so that the work continues to develop in that way. Mm. Wonderful. So just out of curiosity, what, so what type of, it was contemporary dance you were doing? It was, it was, we call it modern dance. Yeah. Yes. I was with a New York City company from the age of nine. Mm -hmm. And uh, so at the beginning it was mostly expressive. Uh, you know, they used me to come in and, you know, make the, the sense of grief in the room or whatever, whatever they wanted. It was mostly stuff like that. And, uh, but I, because of that, I did learn how to fill my whole body with a feeling and then move from there. Mm -hmm. And that also contributed to the way the work developed. Cool, so the fullness of ground. Um, I'm curious, so often when someone creates a book, I think it's maybe answering uh, a question or a misconception that's that's out there now. Was, there, was that the case with the creation of this book that you wanted to clarify something? Yes, that's what was really, I think the impetus for this book. This is my seventh book. Uh, that I've had published on the realization process. And, uh, and in this book, um, I, I didn't hold back, you know, at all uh, in, um, in giving what I feel, you know, from my perspective, a correction to, to some of the non-dual teachings. I'm in the non-dual spirituality field, and I have noticed some trends that, that I find... Um, counter actually even to non-dual realization, let alone to living a healthy life. And so this book really addresses those questions, the questions of whether we cease to exist and what that means and whether in fact realizing non-duality enhances us uh, even as individuals, enhances all our human capacities rather than erasing our ability to respond emotionally or any of the really important aspects of our humanity. Uh, so, um, so I was most concerned with that, and um, I didn't just put in my own my own view, which of course I've been teaching for a long time, but uh, a, a review of the li literature, the Asian spiritual literature. Uh, of course, a vast subject, but the, in Zen and Tibetan Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta, Hindu system. Um, Kashmir Shaivism, Kashmir Shaivism, mm -hmm. uh, that tend to support what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you, you strike a really um, lovely balance between a, a sort of scholarly research of quoting other teachers and other traditions and endnotes and things like that, but also just writing from the heart is what I what I felt that it was very much based on your own experience. Mm, thank you. Mm -hmm. And you open the book talking about this, um, these two traditional views of the absolute nature of reality. Um, so the sort of emptiness view and the everything is one consciousness view. Could you outline the distinction of these two and how it kind of weaves into the landscape of your book? Yeah, it's basically whether 
or not, whether or not we can find an undivided ground of being within us, uh, what we can call an essence. We can call it an essence because we uncover it. We don't imagine it or create it. We find it. So in that way, we can say it's an essence, unbroken ground of consciousness within our own being, our own body, and also pervading everything around us. So that's a, that's a, a conception, a belief that there is a ground of being. And um, of course, having that conception, there are also uh, many ways to actually experience it. So it's much more than a belief or a conception, but an actual experience. And so we can actually look at all of the Asian spiritual literature and some of the Western as well, spiritual literature, and see that there are some teachings that point to this ground. They may speak of it differently in different cultures and different uh, religious traditions, but they're talking about uh, a basic primary ground of being. And then there are those uh, teachings, especially within uh, Buddhism and, and to some extent in Hinduism, that say that there is no ground, that there is nothing, nothing, but that changing flux of experience. Um, so with, without, <laughs> without an experiencer. And, and that, whether or not the, the traditional teachings really mean this, the way they're generally interpreted is that we do not exist. And if we think we exist, we're mistaken. And if we feel that we exist, uh, we're doing something wrong. And because of that, so, so, so the Tibetan Buddhists have very nicely categorize these two main kind of strands of teaching. They call one rangtang, which is that the belief that there is no ground, and the other shentang, which is the belief that there is a ground. So I was very interested to see that traditionally they have recognized these two categories. It clarifies, it can be very clarifying for people to know why one teacher says this and the other teacher seems to contradict them completely. Um, so Shentang and Rangtang, that's what I'm talking about there. But some version of that we can find uh, throughout, even I think even in the Western philosophy. Mm. And would you say that, so you know, often it's said that one of the stages in the realization process or in, in awakening is the ability to hold paradox. So do you think it's possible that both views of reality are actually true and we just collapse into one as a, as a sort of, philosophical framework, but maybe well, they're both I, actually, I don't think that. I mean, a lot of people have tried to, you know, make peace. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> oh, no, there can't be two opposing like views. You know, we don't want any opposition. But uh, I actually don't think so, because if we don't think there's a ground, we probably won't get to it, and that's very different than getting to it. Uh, so... Um, Right, so I think some people are simply more drawn to one than the other. One seems true, and the other doesn't, uh, for for most people who come to spiritual work. So I think what's most important, not that we some make some sort of reconciliation between these views, but that people get to the teaching that makes sense to them, mm -hmm. because it really it really differs in terms of path as well. So you want to be you want to know where your path is going, uh, because this undivided ground, I call it fundamental consciousness in the realization process, it's something that we can actually uncover in ourselves. And once we uncover it, 
we can no longer believe that there is no ground. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and so you said this is the seventh book in the um, the uncovering of the realization process, let's say. Um, yes. So could you provide an overview of this approach and maybe how it differs from other spiritual and therapeutic practices? Sure. I mean, again, a, a big question. Um, what the realization process basically is, is a series of attunement practices, subtle attunement practices, that uncover this undivided fundamental consciousness pervading our own being and everything around us. Now, when we uncover it, because it pervades our own being, our own body, we do experience it as the ground of our individual being. And yet at the same time that we experience it pervading our body, we also experience it actually pervading the world around us. That means that even the computer appears to be permeable in this way, pervaded by consciousness. Um, you know, not so much, you know, we don't need to make the metaphysical claim that everything is consciousness. That's, that's a leap. It may be true, I don't know. But everything appears to be permeable and pervaded by this one undivided expanse of consciousness. So I think, you know, one of the, one of the main contributions of the realization process uh, and, and now, actually, there's, there's much more attention to this, is, for one thing, the embodiment of fundamental consciousness, and it's not something that we realize out there, apart from ourselves, because, you know, that would not really be oneness. If it doesn't include us, it's not oneness. It's not self-other oneness. It's not oneness. So, so the embodiment of it. Now, in that embodiment, it means that we actually mature, we find our deepest connection with ourselves as individuals. So the realization process, and several other modalities today also provide, provides a, a whole aspect of the work that's, that focuses on psychological healing. Psychological healing in the realization process means particularly the release of the way we have constricted ourselves in reaction to abrasive situations in our past growing up. And because of those constrictions, we cannot fully embody ourselves, we cannot fully inhabit our body, and we cannot fully attune to the pervasive space of fundamental consciousness. So they kind of go together. The more we attune to the ground, the more we uncover and can release these constrictions, and the more we release these constrictions, the more we uncover the ground. So there's a very specific method of psychological release in the realization process. I also focus on relationship. And that is something that has been very new to the, to the party in terms of, of the non-dual field. In fact, just a few years ago, people were questioning whether one can have a relationship with non-dual realization because it means not two, right? Mm -hmm. so, so how can we be two? Um, but uh, the, actual, the actuality of it, when we realize fundamental consciousness, is that we come not only into deep contact with ourselves, but into deep contact with the world around us. And when two people are both attuned, when they both have this deep contact, there's an actual experience of oneness uh, between oneself and another person, along with uh, resonance, uh, what we can call contact, which is a mysterious 
experience, uh, hard to put into words, but a real contact, love to love, uh, sensation to sensation, power to power, uh, mind to mind, understanding to understanding, voice to voice. Uh, so really the, a deepening of relationship with other people. So the realization process, again, has specific practices for people to do together um, to, to be able to experience this oneness as fundamental consciousness. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I agree. I feel like the talk of being in relation, um, either in like a, you know, a duo or even in community is often not found so much in, in non-dual teachings that I've studied as well. And part of one of the sort of realizations I had in reading this book was that just how profound it is that every single conscious being in our universe, and we know only a very small fraction of those beings, is all having this ultimate non-dual experience. And it it really makes it gives gave me this feeling of like of coming home, of like being being held. You know, so it's like you're not out there on your own trying to figure out all this. It's it's really we're you know we really are just these small. You know, it's just the way that consciousness manifests is through this separate self, the separate body, seemingly separate body. But it's really just uh, yeah, it's 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 a nice feeling, and I, I think your practice of embodiment really welcomes that. Yes, thank you. Yes, we really are all one. <laughs> realization process and its emphasis on healing trauma, which is something that's been very present at Science and Non-Duality over the last few years. And does this practice um, limit to kind of personal trauma, or is it also sort of intergenerational trauma? And we're you know, finding out more and more about this as another kind of level of connection is how through the ancestors we've received trauma from the past. Yeah, well, because the, the focus is on releasing constrictions from the bodies because our main, our, our main goal, our main purpose in the realization process is to realize ourselves as fundamental consciousness. And that means that, that we, we view psychological healing as that ability to inhabit our, our own being completely, going towards completely, completely as an ideal. Um, we're working with constrictions. So yes, absolutely. We pass down these holding patterns and they contain beliefs uh, from one generation constrictions, how we react to our ancestral stories, the trauma that has been visited upon our people, um, whatever that is, uh, and how we have in our own body have, have held on and constricted ourselves to not to not to receive the full impact of those stories. The constrictions are 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 as are 
reactions to events and, and things that we've taken in that we were not able to open to completely, that, that we had to protect against. So if we look at our grandmother and see tremendous pain in her heart, and she's also talking about, you know, how, you know, the terrible trauma that occurred uh, in her village, you know, uh, when she was a girl, uh, we may mirror that, we may mirror that pain in our own body, but not be able to really, really let ourselves feel it. Then we'll protect ourselves against it. Then we'll hold it. Then when we go to release it, there will be grandmother, mm-hmm. right? There, there she'll be, and we'll remember her, her pain and what it was from and so forth. Uh, but, but that's our approach to ancestral healing in the realization process because we are focused on regaining the full inhabiting of our Lovely. Do, do you know Daniel Four um, from Ancestral Medicine? Have you heard of him? No. Uh, we, we did a podcast with him it's, um, a few episodes ago, so I invite listeners to check out that. But he has this whole framework for working with ancestral healing. And this a- approach of really working with the energies that are in the body, I think, come from the fact that what you're teaching is such a, an embodied practice. Like you... Uh, f- Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not so much the philosophy and the concepts of non-duality, but it's about the the feeling. What does it feel like in a very subtle way, um, both in meditation and, and in daily life? What yes. oneness, non-duality? Yeah, the actual like? experience of oneness. You know, walking down the street and and experiencing that the pervasive space, the fundamental consciousness that pervades our own being, also pervades the trees, the cars, the other people um, that we can feel that oneness of our own being and everything around us all the time in any, in any situation mm-hmm. and what it feels like. And in, in this book, I do, uh, as, in contrast to, uh, to some of my previous books, I do kind of look at the different aspects, attributes of that experience, the wholeness of it, the unwavering steadiness of fundamental consciousness, the stillness pervading everything. It's kind of a luminous stillness, uh, the depth that that gives us with our own being and with other beings, uh, the fluidity. Because interestingly, as we, you know, fundamental consciousness, its experience is stillness. Uh, but the more we know ourselves as that stillness, the more fluidly our energies move through us. So, and our thoughts and our emotions and our sensations and our perceptions move through us. So we actually experience stillness and that movement of life at the same time, simultaneously, without one erasing the other. Yeah, and, and the, the book is almost like a, a mini retreat, a mini self-guided retreat, because there's so many practices that one can do. And uh, I'm wondering, actually, would you mind... Um, Guiding us through one of, one of the practices I, re, I really loved in the book was described the red ball practice, which I think shows fluidity and permeability. Yes, um, that's a hard one to do uh, mm-hmm. just with my voice. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but I can I can do a, I can lead a version of it, or maybe just describe it. Maybe, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, the description of it is that once someone has been able to attune to fundamental consciousness, what we do actually is a kind of a half-hour sequence of inhabiting the body, of attuning to the actual qualities that we can uncover within our body that also seem to be 
innate that we just simply uncover. Uh, so about a half hour of really embodying ourselves. And then we attune to the space outside of our body. And we attune to that being one single space inside and out, the same space. And that space of fundamental consciousness pervading our body and our environment. So once someone has been able to do that, mm-hmm. then, especially a very sensitive person who tends to, and most of the people, of course, who come to this or any spiritual work are pretty sensitive, uh, but people who tend to be shattered by uh, by sensory stimuli, by sounds, or even by visuals that are that uh, are hard to hard to look at for them without them feeling themselves chaotic or mirroring the the chaos within whatever they're seeing or hearing. So, so then I I come and sit in front of them. This is of course really much easier to do in person. And I have them attuned to the space pervading themselves and myself, their body and my body. I tell them I have a little red ball. It's imaginary. It's about the size of a pea. I'm going to toss it over their shoulder, and they should let it just simply pass through that space over their shoulder. So generally at this point, they look at me like, well, you know, there's nothing over my shoulder in the Ball is imaginary, so I don't think I'll have much trouble with that. <laughs> but then when I toss it, in fact, they do stop it, right? We're used to stopping sensory experience, not letting it, not letting it go all the way through us, right? Because as a protection, because if we if we don't know ourselves as the unbreakable, by the way, it's unbreakable stillness of fundamental consciousness, then we are we can be feel shattered. We can feel shattered by abrasive stimuli. So we generally will stop that little imaginary ball from going through. By tossing a few times, they keep attuning to that pervasive space, fundamental consciousness. Finally, they can let it go through, toss it over the other shoulder. They can usually do that one. Then I toss it through their body, through their, you know, like their shoulder. And because even our body is experienced as permeable, as fundamental consciousness. And that's the point where sometimes people really get it, like, oh, I can actually experience myself as being made of space, as being made of consciousness. So then I toss the little imaginary ball through their shoulder, and after a few tries, they can let that pass through, right, because they're made of space. The ball, the passage of the ball, it has to be said, is not entirely imaginary because in the toss, it makes a little energy current. So I'm making a little energy current through the space, right? So it's not just imaginary. But to be able to, and then, so people can try this out if you, you know, people listening, if you are able to attune to this pervasive space, then you can try it with letting music go through the space. You can walk outside, you can go to a grocery store, let all the vibrations of those other human beings pass through the space. See if you can stay attuned to that stillness, but very important. I mean, the reason that we spend so much time leading up to it, we don't want to hold ourselves still. Right? That stillness is not something we hold. It's something we uncover and realize. So that takes that takes doing the practices. But if you can, just attune to that pervasive stillness, then you may be able to experience this uh, tossing the ball exercise with the various vibrations that are in your own environment. Very cool. Yeah, I love that one. I can definitely hear the, the sort of modern dance background too in these practices because you know there are often these 
sort of yeah these imaginary things that that uh, modern dancers do have you ever worked with contact improvisation when you were i haven't but i'm very familiar with it yeah because yes. that seems like it would be another practice to sort of uh, mm-hmm. find the 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 permeability and the fluidity of the body to see that when you're in relation to many people all moving around improvisation leaning on each other using each other's bodies to augment their bodies it's like it could be an interesting way of uh, yes yeah There is a whole dance technique that still is part of the realization process. It's called stillness moving. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I teach workshops in it. Some of my students teach workshops in it. And I also teach a teacher training in it. You can actually be certified to teach the dance technique that comes out and actually that began the realization process where we move as that pervasive luminous space of fundamental consciousness. In Buddhism, there's a practice uh, known as right effort. So it's this balancing of, of the striving and the allowing, you know, attention and awareness, finding the balance in there. And uh, in your work with the realization process, do you think that finding balance is central to this practice? So the balance basically between striving and allowing? Uh, yes, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, that's very important because these are practices. Um, you know, there are non-dual teachings that, that do say you can just simply settle there and there it is. And um, I haven't found that to be the case. I think you do need to do some, for most people, need to do some focused work so that when they do just let go of themselves, they let go from the core of themselves, they let go of themselves completely into the space rather than just from the surface of themselves. So we do these practices, and they, if they're done with too much effort, they, it's counter to the to the purpose of the practice, right? We make tension rather than than relieving it. But if it's not done with with any sort of volition, then it won't get there either. So just the right amount of effort is required. Nice. And do you have any uh, stories uh, from the realization process of of people basically? getting it in like a like an instant samadhi type situation or is it usually a low a slow oh, it, it often comes in glimpses just like you know just as most teachers say yeah you get a glimpse and then you lose it and then you glimpse and then after a while you're what's called stabilized there and you just find yourself there but but it's very different for for different people i have found people uh, some people who have worked with me for two years and I'm like doing this spiel over and over again, fundamental consciousness pervades you, pervades everywhere. And one day they look at me and they go, wow, this space pervades everywhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's hard to believe until you've experienced it and you can hear it and hear it and hear it. It doesn't make much sense if you haven't experienced it. But from doing the practices over and over, one day, yeah, it Everything is permeable, mm-hmm. and um, everything is pervaded by one 
undivided expanse. So sometimes it's like that for people, but usually it's a glimpse, you know, it's a, it's a ripening. And I think a lot of the work, you know, that we do at Science and Non-Duality, so many, uh, many of the things you're describing for me sound like what the, you know, the current models of science say, that everything is mostly empty space, so our bodies are not solid, they're just really fast-moving electrons that give the illusion of solidity. So sitting in my chair and my headphones, they're all merging with the, the, the perimeter that I think is my body. This fundamental consciousness is more subtle than physical space. Mm -hmm. So yes, yes, and it's not just space, it's, it's consciousness pervades mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. Could you speak more about that? This, what, what do you mean by that? It's more subtle than physical? Well, when, when I say that, for example, this, the space of fundamental consciousness pervades me and, for example, the furniture across the room, mm -hmm. I don't mean it just pervades me and the furniture. It pervades the whole room, right? It's pervading the space between us. So uh, we're attuning to it, you know, in our body. Uh, we're not just tuning to empty space. It's um, it's it's sentient. It's conscious. It is experienced as kind of a blend of emptiness and presence. Mm -hmm. So. Um, Although it has those faculties of, of space, as science describes, you know, being empty and full of whirling things, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's um, it's not just space. It's a different uh, a different element than space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's you know in quantum physics they talk about the collapsing of the wave function. So maybe that is a little closer to what you're describing. They're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you planning um, retreats and uh, live events to? to oh yes, I, I I'm constantly teaching. I teach uh, workshops and teacher trainings. We have one coming up starts October sixth, where where which is a teacher certification training in this non-dual meditation. So that the certification is to be a realization process meditation teacher teaching non-duality. Mm -hmm. um, that starts October sixth. And um, yes, and then I'm doing, and then I have you know wonderful group of teachers who are also giving workshops. It's all on the website, realizationprocess.org. Nice, yeah, and we'll have links to your website in the show notes and links to the new book, which will be out right when this episode airs. So that's great. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being on the episode today, and. Um, this is optional, so you don't have to do this, but would you like to lead us in one of these realization process meditations? I asked about earlier, but I gave a bad example of the red ball. But, um, <laughs> uh, one for listening. If, if, if yes, I can, I can teach the core breath. Uh, that's okay. something that, that I can do. We, you know, one, actually one important thing about non-dual realization as it's experienced and understood in the realization process is that we do have a, a sense of our own existence. We, we connect to center. And even though that may be the same center in each of us, 
we each experience it as our very own center, as, oh, this is, this is who I am. This is who I really am. And for, probably for most of us, that in itself is a new experience. Of, like, you know, oh, actually I exist. So this, you know, and this is me. <laughs> and, um, and we get to that by attuning to a very subtle channel that runs through the vertical innermost core of our torso, neck, and head. In, um, in the Hindu system, it's called Shushumna, in Hindu yoga. In Tibetan Buddhism, um, it's called the central channel. That's our English translation of it. And um, we let go of ourselves from within that central channel, that subtle core of the body, into fundamental consciousness. It's a portal into fundamental consciousness, and it helps us have that real sense of like I am fundamental consciousness, not that it's something separate from me. So, so it's a fairly short practice, and and we can do it like this. If you're listening and you want to follow along, then come sit up. You can do this eyes open or closed, and you can do it sitting upright with your chairs on, with your feet on the floor, or you can do it sitting cross-legged if you prefer. Start by just breathing, just being aware of your breath. An even breath, just, just for calmness, right? Two counts in, two counts out, whatever number is comfortable for you. Now find the point in the innermost core of your head. We call this the head center, and we only find it by the feel of it. But how deep a point can you find within the core of your head? And just by being in that point, your head center, it enters you into your wholeness, into your whole body. It means you can even experience the internal space of your feet, your hands, your legs, your torso, your arms, your neck, and the rest of your head, just by being in your head center. You may find that you've come down a little bit within your head in order to do that. That's because most of us live a bit above and in front of this point. Right? So you may be a little bit deeper, a little tiny bit lower than you're used to being. Now bring your breath into your head center and back out again. Right, the breath comes in through both nostrils, makes a single stream of air that can go right into your head center. And the exhale comes out. Now initiate your breath within your head center. So the first place you feel the breath move is within your head center, even before you feel it move in your nose or your lungs. And just by breathing within your head center, you may feel 
a resonance throughout that whole core of yourself, all the way down to the base of your torso, just by breathing within your head center. See if you can really start the breath there. It's so subtle, it's almost a thought, but it is a breath. Feeling that resonance through the whole core of your being, all the way down to the base of your torso. If those of you listening happen to be with somebody else or in a group of people, a very interesting thing to do is staying in your own head center, find the other people's head center. We can connect core to core through anywhere in our core, but particularly through these three points we're going to attune to today. From your own head center, find each other's. Now, come down to your heart center, also known as the heart chakra, the center of your chest, but deep in the core of your body. Again, we find this by the feel of it. This is deeper than the midline. It's as deeply inward as you can focus within your chest without strain. You can leave go your awareness of the head center. You're just in your heart center. And just by being in your heart center, it enters you into your wholeness. You, You can feel the whole internal space of your whole being without moving from your heart center. Now initiate the breath within your heart center. So the breath starts there within the point, both the inhale and the exhale, happening within that tiny point. Feeling that resonance through your whole core, it's gonna be upward and downward now, whole core, just by, the whole core at once, just by breathing within the heart center. So this can take some practice, but after a while, make sure you're not bringing the breath to the point, but you're actually starting the breath within it. And again, it's it's almost a thought, so subtle. Now come down to your pelvic center, and this is in the center of your pelvis, but deep in the core of your body, deeply inward as you can focus within the pelvis. Just by being in your pelvic center, it enters you into your wholeness. Initiate your breath within the pelvic center. Start it there. Both the inhale and the exhale, starting within that point. Feeling again that resonance through your whole core just by breathing within the pelvic center. And you can do that core to core attunement from any of these points if you're if you're listening with other with other people. Now we're gonna do all three points at the same time. Find your head center again. Find your head center and your heart center at the same time. 
Add in the pelvic center. And just by being in those three points, it enters you into your wholeness. Now, if you find it too challenging today to to find all three points at the same time, it's fine to find two. And then with practice, if it interests you and you're practicing it, add in the third. Now initiate the breath from all three points. And this time, feeling that gentle resonance, that gentle vibration everywhere within the internal space of your body as you breathe within those three points. If your eyes are closed, open them. See if with your eyes open, you can find your head center, your heart center, and your pelvic center. With your eyes open, feeling how that enters you into your internal wholeness. Take a moment to experience your environment from this core of yourself. And initiate the breath from within all three points now, if you can. Feeling that resonance throughout your whole body. Now, if you're able to, find the space outside your body, space in your environment, and feel that the space inside and outside your body is the same continuous space. You're still in your body. You're still in those three points, in fact, but you're permeable. Space inside and outside is the same. And you may be able to feel that you can let go into that pervasive space of fundamental consciousness from within each of these points. Just like letting go of a fist or just like letting go of something you've been holding, but without leaving the core, right? So we live in the core, we're still there, but we let go of any sort of habitual grip on ourselves, and we enter into that pervasive space. And that's the core breath, and once you've practiced it, just let go of it. (laughs) Just let go of it. And then come back to it another time and practice it again. And with practice, you may find that you're just there. that you're just in your core, this can take a little while, and that you're just living as that pervasive space. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Judith. Thank you for letting me be part of this, part of Sand again. I, I enjoy it. And thank you for listening to The Sounds of Sand. We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of sand content, available exclusively to sand members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. 
and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. <laughs>